1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer.
2: And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business.
1: And joining us in the studio today it is Tom Roddy from The Times coming up. We're going to bring you all the reaction from today's Champions League draw but first to the Emirates. The front page of the game today reads simply de best after a Kevin De Bruyne masterclass dismantles Arsenal to leave even Freddie Lundberg admitting we need a new boss soon. It took De Bruyne just 89 seconds to open the scoring at the Emirates with a perfectly controlled side foot shot struck at just over 60 miles per hour and a Raheem Sterling strike before another De Bruyne finish made it 3-0 at half time and it was simply game over for the Gunners. We'll talk more about the issues at Arsenal in just a moment but on Kevin De Bruyne just how good was he Tom?
0: He, he was amazing wasn't he? I think that it, it's hard to get too excited um, when you've got that Arsenal defence <laughs> Um but I think the thing with De Bruyne that I find is it's, it just looks effortless. As you said, the the side foot ball. How how fast was it? 60? Sixty. Just si- the sixty. Just the sixty miles an hour mm-hmm. with a side foot. It's it's just effortless the way he plays. And um, I think it, that he's he, they rely on him so heavily. And City have seen these midfielders over the years, the Ayatore, David Silvers, that they've they that have been the, like the linchpin of their team, but I think he's he's the complete midfielder, isn't he, De Bruyne?
1: Where would we rank him then, Gregor, in the Premier League's all time greatest midfield players, would you say?
2: Uh he's got the potential to be right up there. I mean it's he's gonna have to do it over a bit of a longer period and also stay fit. That's been a an issue for him. Mm. Um but you know I, yeah, we're speaking about David Silva's time Sort of running down in the Premier League, and he'll be right up there. And De Bruyne has the potential to be to be the same. It's his versatility as well. I think you know he's almost playing up front at, uh, yesterday, and he was kind of he he drives the team on. I, I think, yeah, I yeah, totally is is one one comparison. He kind of has the ability to steamroller the opposition with you know almost single handedly at times. Mm. And it's funny because he's not he's an athlete and he's powerful without being searingly quick. Um, he's kind of a playmaker, but he can he can do the do the dirty work as well, and he's he's right in right in the opposition's face in terms of pressing, and um, he's just yeah, he's a, he's an all rounder, as an all round midfielder. There's not been many better certainly. I think it depends
0: on when you look at last season. He was out for a lot of it, wasn't mm. he? Yeah. And 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 City didn't hugely miss him, you know. Um, and that's I think that 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 will. Ranking that will affect his kind of ranking in the Premier League's biggest midfielders. I mean, how much the best midfielders? How much did Arsenal rely on Vieira? How much did United rely on Keane? um, You know, even Liverpool and Gerrard. I think they they were indispensable players for for their teams. Whereas um, I think De Bruyne can. I think City are still an effective force without him. They're just even better with him.
2: I think part of that has to do with, like you say. City are uh, the system is king for Guardiola and he's a you know, he's a key component of that and and he excels in, in Guardiola's team, but it's always about the system first and foremost. So that's that, that is another consideration. He's not although he does step up and win the game for the team, it's kind of he's still part of the the Guardiola machine. Uh and it's a, you know, the game's changed quite a lot in the last decade in terms of, if you're trying to compare him to those sort of, sort of t- totemic players that, mm. that were like the leaders. So, um, but yeah, he's a joy to watch. And that strike, it's, some people just have that ability, I think, just to watch the ball onto their foot and have the balance and the poise and the timing to strike it so much more cleanly than, than any other player, really. Trent Alexander-Arnold's a similar player in that. The way they strike the football is just different than most other footballers. And it's joy to watch yeah. Mm,
1: yeah it was a super performance from de Bruyne a super performance for Manchester City then but as for Arsenal I guess new boss same problems Henry Winter writes in the game today Arsenal surrender to dynamic de Bruyne it, it was the same old story for Freddie Lundberg's side who simply couldn't cope at the back with uh, Manchester City's fluid display with a half empty Emirates let's not forget as well by the time they were finally put out of their misery by the full-time whistle. In Henry's piece today, he calls the game a mismatch. Uh, Is that fair? Are they that far apart? I think they are. They are, aren't
0: they? Um, I think they're they're poles apart. And I think the, the, the biggest issue is 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 kind of in the dugout, in the um in the failure to, to put someone put someone in there. I mean Jumberg, you get guys come through like Solskjaer and you, you get the feeling they, they really want it and they're prepared for it. Jumberg's never really looked prepared for this job. He's never he, he's never looked comfortable, never sounded comfortable, which mm. I think is a big part of a manager's role. It's the way they communicate with fans, the way they communicate with the media, the way they communicate with their team, and he's just never never looked ready for that, and and like you said at the top there, that he said we need
2: we need a boss. Um, he he, he said and he's asked for, he's asked for help as well. He asked for in the meantime, depending on how long it's going to take, we need some coaches yeah. to help to help me out. I'm I'm a rookie here, and Per Mertesacker has been with the been with the academy for what a year, eighteen months or something. You know, who else really have they got? It's a joke. How can how can these guys be leading one of the biggest clubs in the country at the moment? It, from top to bottom, Arsenal just looked an absolute shambles. It was, you know, you talk about that, the, the corporate seats. It was amazing. You watched the game and it was like the first 15 minutes, it was like there was no, no one in the seats. And then for the kind of middle 15 minutes, like, oh, they've turned up. Mm. And then again, for like the last 15 minutes for the first half, they didn't bother. They thought, oh, we'll go and get the prawn sandwiches or whatever. So, it's just an awful backdrop to the to the team and to the club. And the team, like, the defence is just, I don't know what to say about it. It's incredible that that's Arsenal's defence. They just keep backing off. They look terrified to commit themselves to make a tackle or to just take responsibility. And in front of them, Gwendouzi, I, I don't know. There, there was have been periods of the season where there's been a huge loving for Gwendouzi. We had a good half against Spurs. Um, I remember people you kind know, of gushing about him, even talking about him as a potential captain. He's one of the most ill-disciplined, sort of reckless, headless midfielders in the in the Premier League. So he's the guy protecting them in front. Mm. And Torreira's not really looking. You know, the the fans want him to play, but he's not. He's he's playing in a team that's just seems badly coached and and got a dearth of confidence. Aubameyang's the one, someone who was a, spoken of as a captain as well. And he spent the whole. Whole game walking around shaking his head and waving his arms around. Uh, Arsenal are in an awful, awful state.
1: An awful state, though, that that has been building for a long, long time. Tom, obviously, the, the situation with the defence. I mean, we we know when we think of Arsenal, and we go back a decade or even longer. You always thought Arsenal had such a strong defence, especially when you're going back to the Tony Adams mm. era. That mm. you know, I mean, we're going back a while. But how has it got to this stage that Arsenal now have? a defence that is just so weak and porous. Well, I mean you remember in
0: the summer when David Luiz was coming in and it was seen as this this great get, this yeah. great this great buy and and they were they were buying David Luiz, the same David Luiz who was at Chelsea, the same David Luiz who was reckless, rash or st- like Gregor was just saying, I mean the way you were describing Arsenal it just summed up David Luiz for me, the way he just stands, he'll either stand off or dive in yeah. which then then you know commits the rest of his team they're 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 all at, all at sea you know um and i think he kind of sums it up entirely um and there's there there've been problems there for years the the, the core of the team has been the the biggest issue um and they just haven't they haven't resolved it they're they're top heavy
2: mm-hmm. i also I also had a thought when i was when the game ended i was thinking i'd love to be a fly in the wall in the changing room afterwards who would have who would be brazen enough to open their mouth and say anything to any other player there, and people kind of get a wee bit snooty when you talk about there's no leaders, there's no captain, as if that's kind of like an old fashioned concept. And if they're playing well and the system's okay, then none of that matters. But they have no one. There's no there's no candidate. There's no you know the, ca- the whole captaincy issue is like it sums Arsenal up as well. The, you look around, there's, they, they don't have one candidate. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary. And I, I, again, I, like I said, I would love to I'd love to see Bloomberg and. And Mertesacker, you know, would they be digging people out? Would there be anyone? No one in the team possibly could. I think. I think Mer- that's the only thing Xhaka did actually. They, people say, you know, although he was his performances were were sort of left lacking, left a lot to be desired. Sorry for uh, for a, a lot of a lot of games. He always had a bit of fight, and I think that's what the other players sort of looked looked up to. And if if is the guy they're doing that about then again, that says a lot about Arsenal.
0: I think Mertesacker's involvement is purely. For a publicity, you know, um, kind of for, for publicity reasons, that he's he's popular among the fans. So when they they had the issue, they sacked Emery, didn't have anyone to bring him in. They got this rookie coach in Nymberg, They brought in Mertesacker just to kind of get the old boys back together again. I think that was what it was.
2: But even then, you look at you know, there's this theme of of uh, clubs bringing back people who are supposed to know the DNA of the club, and even Arsenal are bringing back guys who. I mean, they weren't legends for the club. Lindbergh had a good, a good spell, a good era. Uh, Mertesacker certainly not someone I would say is a legend of Arsenal. Uh, he's not Frank Lampard to Chelsea. He's not Duncan Ferguson at Everton. So they, they can't even bring back someone who's going to inject a bit of life into the team. Well,
1: we'll talk more about perhaps who could come in to uh, take over as manager in just a moment. But let's focus once again. On what we saw on the pitch, and in particular Mesut Özil, who was subbed off after 59 minutes, he himself had a, a bit of a granite jacker moment, if you like, as he was booed off whilst uh, at a walking pace, and this is, I think, where the fans got annoyed because he was walking so slowly uh, despite the fact that his team were trying to force their way back into the game. He was uh, less than impressed to be uh, taken off, kicked his gloves into the sky, clearly frustrated by events. And this incident came hours after the club distanced themselves from Erzl's views following a social media post about the treatment of Uyghur Muslims in China. Following his comments, China State broadcaster CCTV removed Arsenal's Premier League match against Manchester City from its schedule. Its fan club on Chinese search engine Baidu has been removed by its founder, who said in a statement, in front of national interest, any individual hobby doesn't matter anymore. Oh, goodness. Where do we start then with the situation with Ozil? Just to talk about his... His stance that he's taken on on what is happening in China and that treatment of Uyghur Muslims—do we believe that first of all, footballers should be having these opinions? Should they be so outright there and and um, outspoken? Is what I should say?
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for the sole reason that you know we're we're sat here talking about it now, there'll be it's made column inches uh the the broadcasters are talking about it everyone's talking about it and not many of us know about it before mm. i'll admit i didn't you no, know i didn't insane. didn't know the story um and uh, from what i understand Ozil is someone who i think once his career is done he thought he could use his platform for 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 the better good and he could but he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't wait with something like this um and i thought it was Brilliant line in Matt Dickinson's piece today, where he said about um, he's thrown himself into more controversies, political controversies than tackles, because of course he's spoken about President Erdogan in Turkey as well. But with something like this, I think he's he's just showing his kind of passion for for, for something he feels strongly about. And Özil doesn't talk about talk often. He doesn't speak publicly often. But he's he's clearly someone who who is is quite principled. And and I think when you do hear him talk. Um, he it does come acro- he does come across well. We just don't hear from him enough. I think that's the issue. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, there should be no problem with footballers making political statements, uh, and football clubs are often quite selective w- w- when they're taking their apolitical stances. So, um, uh, yeah, I, footballers should do that. Should do it more. It brings it brings sort of important issues to the fore. Um, but we know that football and questionable repressive regimes are intertwined they have been for a long time whether that's through ownership of clubs uh sponsorship and let's not forget that arsenal have visit rwanda on the side of their their sleeve which is you know a, a country that's got very questionable human rights record and selling of tv rights as well so this is what this is this time that arsenal make the equivalent to half of usuls Annual salary per year from China alone in their TV rights, so this is quite a big deal for them, mm. um, and they expect it to be a growing market as well. So Arsenal in a, it does put Arsenal in a sticky situation, um, but they're not alone in this either. It's you know any time a, a footballer does ra- ra- raise their their head above the parapet, there is the possibility of of it kind of the ripples of that spreading somewhere else in the world, and that's that's the world we live in at the moment, and that's that's the world that football is involved in.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm i with you both, obviously, in thinking that a footballer using his profile, there's nothing wrong with that at all, to, to highlight a cause or an issue. I think, obviously, the problem with Arsenal, as many have now said, it's the fact that, and it is all down to the commercial rights, I think you're absolutely right, So, it's a, if there's money involved in all of this, because they weren't quick to distance them themselves from Hector Bellerin. And mm. he's very outspoken with his political views, but they've mm. never come out and said anything about him. Um, to matters then on the pitch and what we saw from Ozil, his reaction to being substituted, was he wrong?
2: Yeah, I mean, any any sort of petulant act when you're wrote off, sometimes it's understandable. Um, and, it, you know, also when I was watching that second half, I, must, I was thinking how kind of humiliating and... and demoralizing it must be to play to be in that arsenal team playing against manchester city and you know ozil is a a huge player and he was getting the ball passed around him and it, people question his work ethic and he wasn't he wasn't doing much but not i wouldn't say anyone was really in arsenal in that second half so um but yeah it doesn't it's just the optics of it it's not it doesn't look good it looks kind of looks a bit disrespectful to the manager who's made the decision mm. and a little bit disrespectful to the fans and just also following on from what happened with Xhaka, the fact he walked off the pitch, trudged off the pitch mm. pretty mm. slowly and you could see that, you know, he was getting a a fairly warm reception and then it sort of deteriorated and it became a smattering of boos and amongst the, recept- the sort of applause because they want him off the pitch to get the new guy on. To, hopefully help them get a goal back yeah connection with the gloves was pretty good though wasn't it (laughs) Kevin De Bruyne probably his best
0: moment (laughs) yes (laughs) Um, but but, but seriously on that um, I think it was it's all kind of wrapped in the the issues at arsenal i thought it was kind of an outpouring of frustration and of course i think ozil when he has spoken out in the past he said that he he feels like he is made the scapegoat for these big games so he's walking off the pitch 3-0 down and he believes he i think he's expecting the criticism that's going to follow he's probably also <laughs> frustrated by the fact Freddie Lundberg's in the dugout and they haven't sorted out that whole situation as well so I think it's a it's a mixture of everything
1: Mm. Well uh, Lundberg was asked about it obviously and his response to Ozil's uh, reaction to being substituted was that they will deal with it later Well Arsenal do appear to have stepped up in their pursuit of a new manager and it seems as though they could be going back to a former player Mikhail Arteta has been spoken to. The club's chief executive, Vinay Venkatesham, has been pictured leaving the Spaniards' at Manchester home in the early hours this morning. The former Gunner skipper Arteta, currently assistant to Pep Guardiola at City, has been strongly linked with the managerial vacancy at the Emirates. Now, of course, Gregor, on Monday's pod, we discussed Carlo Ancelotti and how he wouldn't necessarily be the right fit for a club that certainly needs to rebuild. But do we think going for someone like Arteta is what they need?
2: I mean who knows it's really with Arsenal it's there's more there's bigger problems than the guy in the dog and it's one of them a major a major problem uh and I'm just I'm slightly I'm slightly surprised by the sort of clamor for Arteta from various clubs for a guy who's coached for a few years and never been a manager mm. yeah he's he's obviously an intelligent guy he's got a good reputation he's worked in close proximity to Pep Guardiola all these things are uh, counting his favour, he's got the connection to Arsenal, which I think fans probably would be happy. And a big part of this does seem to be these days pleasing the fans, appeasing the fans almost to sort of with the guy that they're selecting. I talk about Everton later, and I'm sure they wanted to appoint David Moyes, but they saw the fans' reaction and sort of shelved that for now, it seems. Um, so it takes it a lot of boxes, but he's got. Some job on his hands. I, you know, <laughs> he might get Arsenal playing better football, um, looking more sort of coherently coached. Uh, but he's going to have a job on his hands until he can buy some defenders and keeping the ball out of his own net. So he needs to know it going there. It's a big project, and and I think also it will be his situation at City will be will play a part in this. I'm sure if if you're if you're him, you want to know what Guardiola's plans are, mm. and that might you know it sounded like from the interviews yesterday with Guardiola that they've kind of been having jokes about it, about the possibility of him leaving or all these all the interest in him, but perhaps not real kind of heart to heart serious conversations looking forward because it could be a domino effect if Guardiola decides to leave. Then I'm sure City would like the option of having Arteta step in, who knows the players, and. Has worked alongside Pep for so long, so there's a lot of things at play, I think, and um, but it's still a huge job, and and for your first job, Arsenal, I mean, God, you've got to bite their hands off, really. And also, if 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 Arteta is
0: such an integral part and such a brilliant co- coach, why would Guardiola want to let him go so easily? He's been, he's appeared from the way he's spoken, so open to this. Um, and and I I can only, you know, repeat what you've said, Gregor. I completely agree with everything you said. But if he's going to, you know, it's a big gamble for City as well. Whatever club that's looking at, at Arteta, and there have been many incredibly they're all taking a gamble because he's not proven. You look at Tottenham losing Pochettino and, and the seamless process where Jose Mourinho goes in there and they've got a proven manager. They've taken that step up and I know their are clubs going in separate directions but there was a clear, coherent plan that went into the process of bringing a new man
1: in. But with the situation with, with Arteta possibly becoming the Arsenal manager, you've you mentioned there, Gregor, about it's a big rebuild, it's a big project. This could be a thankless task
2: certainly in the short term yeah i mean he's you he, he can you can better coach the, the 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 team to sort of be more solid defensively but the players aren't good enough callum chambers shouldn't be playing in arsenal's back four socrates shouldn't be tierney's out for 3 months golaznic is injured and really i don't think he should be in a top half premier league back four um in to come back. But they need they need a whole new back four. And yeah, it's it is a thing it is a kind of an interesting one for him because you want your first job to be you never walk into it'd be very rare at least for you to walk into kind of a haven of tranquility, but this is the opposite end of the extreme, you know, there's a huge fracture, disconnect between the supporters. I need to be a fairly big character to to sort of be the single handedly the person to sort of rebuild that, that connection and that trust. Because you need to you need the results on the pitch and you need to kind of carry yourself in a certain way. And it's all a complete unknown whether Arteta is someone who who's that guy. You know, people talk about Vieira and he's his stature. You think that's you know, I think that's there is something in that. There's a bit of importance in the sort of the demeanour of the of the guy in the dugout at the moment because he's taken all sorts from From all around, it's a toxic atmosphere. You Mm. need to be big and strong to stand up to that.
1: Yeah, certainly do. We will obviously keep you updated on that search as it continues. But let's focus on another club who are without a manager, and that is, of course, Everton. Their rejuvenation. under caretaker boss Duncan Ferguson was apparent again yesterday in a spirited display that saw them pick up a point at Old Trafford. Mason Greenwood came off the bench to rescue a point for Manchester United after a bizarre Victor Lindelof own goal from a corner but Ferguson's men held on as the Scots celebrated in just a shirt (laughs) despite the rain and chilly conditions in Manchester in front of Everton's applauding travelling fans. Now with injuries mounting up this was a big point gained for Everton and stand-in boss Ferguson who's now taken four points from his two games in charge against big six teams now it's been confirmed he will take charge of this week's um, Carabao Cup quarter final with Leicester unbeaten in two now under Ferguson have the results enhanced his case perhaps to uh, continue in this role until the end of the season Tom until the
0: end of the season yeah for sure I mean this is what the polar opposite to what Arsenal were <laughs> have, have got um, what Everton were, were hoping for is someone who's brought in stability, almost got them back to, to 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 basics in a way. I think they were the top six games playing against top six teams, Man United and Chelsea. I think they're probably the easiest games they could have played. I think with Chelsea, they just roughed them up, really, didn't they? They were very physical. They they they, they all played in a Duncan Ferguson way. Um,
1: but that's the kind of identity we we think of with everton isn't it mm. a little bit of steel and mm. grit
0: exactly that yeah and i think it, it it worked for them so um i think they'll probably do it on a game by game d- basis i think they'll probably um be be already planning you'd be worried if they weren't um for for someone to come in and re- replace him i don't i don't believe duncan ferguson's the long term solution um but but for sure until the end of the season someone that can can steady the ship
2: i just yeah i don't think there's any need to rush in. You know, look at who he was facing in the dugout there. A lot of people were thinking Solskjaer was <laughs> was the second coming and then uh, and then you know things fell away pretty pretty seriously. So uh, the clubs always seem to be in a rush to make this decision ab- about it's been two games. Mm. And he's he has done well. I think we're it's true that they've gone back to basics because they've gone to four four two. Um the players just know their roles. He's lifted the cloud as well because he's a big Big figure for them, but the players just know the rules and know the responsibilities. Everything's much clearer now, but at the same time, he's you know he, he slipped a, a little dummy in about the formation. He said to Gary Neville, it was he was going to be playing five three two before the game. Even started with Mason Holgate in a back three at kickoff. Mason Holgate straight away moved into centre midfield, <laughs> and we're back to four four two. So you know he's not just he's had a few kind of uh more cerebral sort of little tweaks of formation and tactics and stuff as well. He's not just the the guy punching the air and, and the the rough kind of Scotsman and he's uh in his shirt in the rain. So I don't think they need to make a decision, but I think he's 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 clearly a safe pair of hands for the for the time being.
1: On the game itself, let's discuss the, the Everton goal then. Leighton Baines, on as a substitute for the injured Lucas Dinia, whipped in a typically ferocious delivery from a corner, which caused problems for David the Hare, who was under pressure from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. The goalkeeper could only feebly flap the ball straight at Lindelof, who didn't react in time to stop the ball from rolling into the net. Now, VAR checked this one for a possible foul on the hair by Calvert-Lewin. Saw no reason to overturn the decision, but obviously... Manchester United camp not happy with the goal being given. Do you think that was a foul, Gregor? Would you be annoyed if that was your team you were playing in?
2: I think the reaction to it broadly has been correct in that you would be annoyed because it's a foul, but you'd be annoyed at your goalkeeper for being slightly weak. So I think it is it is a foul. Mm. And Man United can feel aggrieved by that. But at the same time, I'm sure people will be saying to De Gea, De Gea you need to be stronger than that when you are coming. I mean, it's hard for a goalkeeper. You, you know, you think you look at it and you think it's not that much of a contact, but when you're going to punch a ball and somebody pushes their hand in your face, it's gonna it's gonna put you off. So it's, it's the way he comes for it. I think he he came side on. He kind of stretched an arm out with his face almost looking the other way. He's got to be more kind of forthright with that and and come out and really take everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was a foul.
0: I mean, I think there's two issues here, and the first is. Is that I? I don't think it is particularly hard for a goalkeeper. I think that's the issue in that I think they get so much protection, and I understand that's it true. because you can't you can't go in, um, you know, especially with VAR now. You can you can judge this um, going in too forcefully. But any any player jumps with a goalkeeper, any connection, and it's a foul immediately, um, and I think that's wrong. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen on on the rest of the pitch, um, and I understand it's a different situation in the penalty box. But I think they get away with 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 quite a lot. They're they're given too much protection in a way, and I think you have to be careful going too far. And the other thing is is VAR. I I think the the issue that we've seen going on so far this season is that they just don't that VAR doesn't particularly want to, if it can help it, go against the referee's decision. And I think this was another case of that.
1: Do you think it was a foul? So it wasn't a foul for you? <laughs> See, I think, that's the thing. It's going to contradict all of that <laughs>
2: now. I, I am. But that's true. <laughs> it's one of these unusual sort of occasions where it is, it, everyone says, yeah, yeah, it probably is a foul. It is a foul. But at the same time,
0: I think it's, it's the, the same goalkeeper one. should have
2: done better. It's
0: the same one as the handballs in when VAR happens, where the laws of the game, yeah, it's a foul. That's a good point, yeah. But it's not... I don't think it's a foul myself if I was um, if I was making the rules of the game anyway.
1: <laughs> if you were iFab. <laughs> um, we were talking about there Duncan Ferguson uh, and whether or not he should continue as the caretaker manager. Certainly there's no rush, it feels, for, for Everton to appoint a successor to uh, Marco Silva. But interesting moment that happened in the game, in the closing moments, Duncan Ferguson... ...controversially subbed off Moise Keane for Uma Nias... ...having only brought the Italian on just 18 minutes earlier. And then when he came off, it seemed as though Ferguson ignored the player... ...as he walked past him on the touchline and headed straight for the dressing room. Now, afterwards, Duncan Ferguson revealed that he substituted Keane... ...because he wanted to kill a bit of time. But the 19-year-old, who was signed in a £27.5 million deal from Juventus... ...in the summer, did appear to be quite upset by the decision. And I guess you can understand that Gregor having played the game.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a bit of a humiliation really. Yeah. It's one of those things that sort of it doesn't really matter what the circumstances are if a sub's been brought off. It's not really good. <laughs> um I actually think Moise Kane did did well. You could see he was upset but he didn't mm. he didn't make a scene or anything. Um yes. uh, could you imagine if somebody had taken off big dunk? Back in the day, mm. imagine what his reaction would have been. Mm. I think there would have been a brawl on the touchline. So he did well in that regard, and he's uh, he is a nineteen-year-old kid. Um, so I feel I do I do feel sorry for him, and the way the way as you say, he didn't he didn't offer a hand to shake his hand. Yeah, he didn't say anything to him. You know, Ian actually was brought off by um, Brendan Rodgers in the first half for Leicester at the weekend. And, he, you know, I think he said to him in his ear, look, this is tactical. Mm-hmm, we need to make mm-hmm. a change here. Yeah. So just say something to him if that's true. So that leads me to believe that it's not really true. Maybe he didn't think he was carrying out the instructions. One thing I noticed was when he went on the pitch, he went to go left wing almost. And then I think it was Richarlison said, no, no, he kind of pushed him into. So he he didn't he didn't really know what his job was when he was going on the field. So that was not a good start. And perhaps the way he was defending, the way he was... He wasn't carrying out the sort of the job that that Ferguson had asked him to do. Railed him, and he's you can see Ferguson's a passionate guy, and he'll do whatever it takes to to make his team win. I, I think I like most people got completely
0: carried away. Well, not carried away, but embroiled in the kind of charm of Ferguson, the t-shirt, the shirt on the touchline in the freezing cold and the rain and and at Chelsea, um, against Chelsea, the the hugging the ball boy and everything. But it all got swept away for me in Mm. that moment. It just Mm. all went away because... um, he claimed as you said that it was about um about killing time but it it was clear in the way that he came off um and the 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 lack of communication that that wasn't the case and i think that's also part of the reason that i don't think he's the long-term manager for because it's that man management Mm -hmm. and i think in this in the modern game you need to be a man manager and i know it wasn't the same situation it wasn't a sub coming off for us um being subbed off, but when Eric Dyer came off after 29 minutes against Olympiacos, it's the equivalent, you know, you haven't even been given half an hour in the game. And Mourinho went overboard on about his personality and his character and what a great lad this boy is and I couldn't have done it to anyone else. I had to go with him because I know his character. He 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 knew he had to do that, whereas Ferguson's just gone completely the other way.
2: One, one thing to say is that, it doesn't actually matter you know what his reason is if he if he thinks that that's what needs to be done to win the game then that's the most important thing mm. but the way he he t- dealt yes. with them afterwards the acknowledgement is the, or lack of and, and another thing is it doesn't nothing really stands out for any layperson watching that game to say that you know he did this or that wrong i saw he, he dived in and uh on dan james and gave a, f- a free kick away which put his team under pressure a little bit and you could see him doing it from a mile away he was charging towards dan james he didn't. He didn't do anything that was kind of alarmingly bad. So, you know, I think he probably should explain that.
1: Yeah, I just think um, it's the man management. That's the big thing, isn't it? And when a player, as well, has as it's turned out with Keane, he's not having the best time of it at Everton. He's sometimes featuring, sometimes not. Um, you just feel as though he could just perhaps have done with the arm around the shoulder and to be given the assurances as to why he's been taken off. And But that didn't seem to be the case, certainly on the pitch. Who knows what happened in the dressing room, of course. Speaking of youngsters, in that game against Everton, Manchester United, listen to this, it was the 4,000th consecutive match in which one of their academy players has featured. That is quite incredible, Mm. isn't it? Uh, That impressive run started over 82 years ago, stretching all the way back to the 30th of October, 1937. And in timely fashion, academy graduate Mason Greenwood came on as a second half sub and scored a brilliantly taken equaliser. Only Rashford has uh, more goals in all competitions for United this season. He scored um, 13, whereas Greenwood, the 18-year-old, has seven goals. Gary Neville has compared Greenwood to Robin Van Persie. My goodness, that is some high praise. Does he have the qualities to reach the dizzy heights of of a Robin Van Persie, for example?
2: Uh, If you listen to Soul Shy, you certainly think so. He's showering him with praise every every week, really. And the one thing you would say is he's definitely an intelligent footballer. You can see that he drifts into little pockets of space. That seems to be where he's almost the most dangerous. He's... Even if he's playing up front, he'll drop and make it into find find a little space that's very hard to mark. And if he's out wide, he'll drift inside, and that's where he got the goal. And you know, the commentary of saying when you watch the replays back that he was a bit lucky that it, it went through, I think it was Jerry Mina's legs. There's no, I mean, that's how often do we see that? And it's you know, it's something that it made it so hard for Pickford to save. Um, and it was completely intentional. He's it's not that he's tried to pick out the hole in between his legs, but. He knows that the defender's gonna make a move to block it, and that's there's every chance that he'll it could deflect or it could find its way into the bottom corner. So he's a he's a you can see he's a clever clever footballer, for, especially for someone of such a young age, um, and clearly he's got a manager who really really believes him at the moment. So,
1: do you think that's right though to, to heap so much praise on on someone who is so young, Tom? Yeah, it's it's difficult,
0: isn't it? Um, the expectation, but it feels like Solskjaer knows him. And you know whether he said this to him before, uh, and I think I can understand the comparison in a way because it's it's that he's such a predatory finisher, um, and he, sorry, exclu- excuse the cliche, but he's got that ice cool in his, in his veins, cool <laughs> finisher thing going on, which which is what Van Persie had as well, um, and I think it's different to the way that Rashford emerged in 2016, wasn't it, when when Rashford came through because. Rashford and he still needs to work on it. Rashford's a real confidence player, like most are, but he he he's he's not as calm and comfortable in front of goal or as Greenwood is in that way. And and it's quite it's quite remarkable. You know, he's made nineteen appearances this season. Thirteen of those have been from the bench, and yet he's the second second top scorer United have got to Rashford. Um, so I can understand the comparisons.
1: Now, earlier on today, the Champions League draw was made and English Premier League sides know their knockout opponents. Manchester City will face Real Madrid, while the holders Liverpool have been drawn against Atletico Madrid then in the last 16 of the Champions League. Chelsea take on Bayern Munich in what is a repeat of the 2012 final that was won by the Blues, while Tottenham face RB Leipzig in some other standout ties Borussia Dortmund will play Paris Saint-Germain and Napoli will take on Barcelona just to say that the first legs will be played around the 18th 19th 25th and 26th of February with the return matches on the 10th 11th 17th and 18th of March wow what a draw we have for the Champions League then let's start with the holders Liverpool drawn against Atletico Madrid maybe could say there are some good omens for them because the final this year on the 30th of May will be played at the Ataturk Stadium in Istanbul with the the ground where Liverpool won that epic 2005 final against AC Milan when they came back from 3-0 down to draw 3-0 and then win it on penalties. And the last 16 draw, of course, takes them back to the stadium in which they won last year's final, which is Atletico's Wanda Metropolitano. But how tough an opposition will this be for Liverpool?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very tough task for them, particularly this first uh this first tie. The thing with Liverpool is that you all uh, them playing at Anfield in the second game, the the sort of it's a unique stadium in in the whole of Europe really and the sort of energy that they can they can get. So if, if they're in the game, then they've got well even they weren't in the game against Barcelona yeah. last year and they still come back to So, you know, playing that first game away is is quite big, but um it's been an intriguing sort of tactical battle too the way the way that Diego Simeone sets up that team and they're so so kind of dogged defensively and, and organized and how Liverpool can find sort of some holes in that and um so it's an intriguing sort of ta- tactical battle um but i think more broadly they sort of there's been quite a lot said about the champions league there's you know only clubs from the the five major european leagues remaining in the, in the competition um and why, well in one sense that's kind of a little bit worrying you know kind of kind of elite level clubs with with untold riches are are dominating the the competition so to such an extent but at the same time you look at that draw and what a draw is <laughs> it's kind of there's well, not is. a bad game in that you no. know it's not there's not a kind of a game that's not really intriguing so you know as a double edged sword you do want to see the stories like last season where ajax kind of came through and almost won it. Mm. Atalanta is one example of almost of that kind of same story. But apart from that, it's the usual suspects and, and it's gonna make for some high water and ties. I can't wait to see Van Dyke against Diego Costa.
0: That'll be <laughs> because I think as well, um they're heavily reliant on Diego Costa aren't they, Atletico Madrid now. So I think if, if Van Dyke, which he probably will, control Diego Costa, then I, 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 I think Liverpool comfortably pass that actually.
1: But is it conceivable, though, by the time these matches come around, so February and March, that Liverpool's eye may not necessarily be focusing on the Champions League? I know they're in a very strong position right now, but if things continue to go as well as it is for Liverpool in the Premier League, could you possibly see that they might actually not want to put so much emphasis on the Champions League?
2: no I don't, no I don't, <laughs> I, mean, I don't think so i think
0: and i think one one issue though is these over the next month and these well the next couple of weeks really these games the the trips to do the trip to doha and the big games that they've got leicester on boxing day they've already lost fabinho to injury um, who I think is a huge loss. Um, Don't two do centre halves? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the issue. Is is if any big injuries keep creeping in. If they can get through uh, the winter period without that, then um, no, I think I think they could juggle it pretty well.
1: What about Manchester City? Then they face Real Madrid, and obviously in contrast to how well it's all going for Liverpool, uh, not going so well for City in the Premier League, given their poor league form. How much pressure is on Pep Guardiola going into that tie?
0: Yeah, I th- exactly that. There's massive pressure. And I think, you know, I... Guardiola's when it goes bad for Guardiola in the Champions League it goes really bad. Um it just capitulates. And I think a game like this you you could potentially see that happening. Um I'm really intrigued to see the the tactical battle between him and Zidane. I believe they have never they've never come up against each other before, which mm. is which is kind of remarkable. Um and, you know, the I think the focus in Spain will be huge on that game. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, with the players they've got, as we were talking earlier, Kevin De Bruyne as the Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus, the, I think uh, I think they should pass that.
2: Can they sign a certain half who's able to play in the Champions League? It's kind of, you know, it could be important. I, mm-hmm. I think at the mm-hmm. moment with their back line, it's going to be hard for them. Laporte will be back. Um, and he makes a huge difference. We spoke about that last last week. Um, so showing up that defence. I mean, but say I've got the they've got the capability to, to to beat these teams undoubtedly. You know, attacking riches that they've got are as, as as good as pretty much any any team in Europe. It's just defending. So I think having Laporte back and making sure he's back and he's fit and he's played played some games by that that stage and potentially having another centre-half to, to play alongside them would, would be key for them.
1: And just to round up, with regards to the English teams in the Champions League, Chelsea face Bayern Munich, as we've mentioned, Tottenham, RB Leipzig. Is it tougher, do you think, for um, Frank Lampard going up against Bayern Munich than it is for Tottenham to take on RB Leipzig?
2: Well, Leipzig are going very Very well, in, and, topping, and, yeah. topping the Bundesliga right now. Absolutely, so... Look, none of these, there was, you know, you look at this, 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 that's what I'm saying, you look at this draw and there's not, you know, Atalanta was the only team really that I think people would have been hoping for. The rest mm. of them are, are really, really sort of uh, difficult difficult ties. So this is what, but look, they know this, when you get to this, these sta- this stage, the knockout stage of the Champions League, um, every team you come up against is going to be sort of pretty formidable.
1: Well, one of those English Champions League teams, Chelsea, then had a weekend to forget as an injury-ravaged Bournemouth clinched a 1-0 victory in West London on Saturday, which saw Chelsea slip to their fourth defeat from five league games. The Premier League clash appeared to be heading for a goalless draw, but Dan Gosling scored Bournemouth's winner on 84 minutes after a VAR review. Frank Lampard has come in for some criticism for his choice of substitutes as Lampard brought on Callum Hudson-Odoi and Mishi Bashawai, joining Tammy Abraham in attack before Bournemouth scored and the poor run has coincided with Chelsea's transfer ban being lifted from January but having made or having gone through a period where everything seemed quite rosy at Chelsea it's not going so well at the moment what do we put this bad run down to
2: it's hard to say I mean it it seemed they they seem to be very sluggish in comparison to the sort of dynamism they showed a few weeks ago even so I think you know Frank Lampard. Conceded for the first time that there could be an element of fatigue and tiredness in in uh, in his team. I was reading that they've played seventeen games in seventy seven days, which you know, there's more. Clubs play more than that. That's what happens at this time of year. But at the same time, they've got a lot of players or a kind of cohort of players who are playing the first season in the Premier League, the first season in the Champions League, and it's far more. You know, the intensity levels are far greater than than anything they've experienced before. So it's almost understandable that they're going to have. A bit of a slump, um, but I also say you know even even though they improved defensively, they need a the centre half. They need someone who is experienced and a bit of a leader. I think at the back, um, and I think you know now that they have the opportunity to do that in January, um, it's going to be interesting because you don't you kind of almost don't want them to go out and spend too much money and and sort of forget what they've been, what's what's been so exciting to watch mm-hmm. about them and what's been actually quite endearing about Chelsea this year, which is a rarity.
1: Well, that's it. Well, that is it, though, isn't it, Tom? Because obviously, as we mentioned in you know, the start of this season, people have been actually praising Chelsea and those youngsters that are playing and coming mm. through. It is going to be a difficult balance that Frank Lampard has to, has to make in terms of does he go out and spend and bring in some players, knowing that could upset the players he has there that have done the job so far?
0: I don't. I don't think it'll upset them particularly, and I think Lampard is making all the signs that he wants to spend <laughs> yeah, yeah. in January. Yeah. I don't think, you know, everything he says is that we're a big club, and a big club like Chelsea takes the opportunity to strengthen. I mean, that to me is. I I have these list of players I want to sign. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's many more people involved. Marina Granovskaya. Um, Lampard knows he's not the only one, but. Um, also, I think part of it, part of the way, reason Chelsea have kind of fallen away and are in this this struggle a little bit. Um, there's kind of an irony in the fact at the beginning of the season, due to the transfer ban, the, one of the big focuses was on attack, and um, Higuain hadn't really worked out, hadn't worked out at all, and um, Olivier Giroud was aging, and they had Tammy Abraham coming back, and it was can we rely on this youngster? Well, now they really are relying on him, and I think. When you see the game against West Ham, I think it was when he was injured, he had the hip problem and um, Olivier Giroud played and it just didn't fit the system at all. And Lampard, instead of going to Batshuayi, went for Callum Hudson-Odoi as a false nine. And I just think suddenly they're relying extremely heavily on him for goals. They don't have in the same way they relied on Hazard last year and for the <laughs> six years before then or however long it was um, and there are obviously the issues in defence as well I think um, Zuma's always got a mistake in him I think he's quite rash Tamori's similar in a way um, and Rudiger's only just back from injury
2: the, the thing that's also interesting about what you're saying about Abraham is true because in, in the space of a few months it's gone from Chelsea need to sign a striker to now you, you wonder what the kind of profile of that striker is going to be because if they go out and sign a, an established international player for 50 million, 60, 70 million pounds who wants to be in the team every week and they play with one centre forward majority of the time, it's kind of there's a bit of a different dynamic there now. Tammy Abraham has made himself that number one guy, you know, he's scoring goals for fun. So it is interesting who they are going to, it will be interesting who they're going to sign. I think it's be good to kind of adhere to someone who's up and, not up and coming, but like a young young player who's who's established and obviously has to be a elite level, but who'd be willing to sort of share the, the burden a little bit with Tammy Abraham, I think, because mm. Tammy Abraham has been outstanding.
1: Well, Chelsea are next in action on Sunday as Frank Lampard faces his old boss, Jose Mourinho, when Chelsea travel to Tottenham. Do we expect Mourinho to get the better of his former star, Tom? I do.
0: Do yeah, you? I really do. <laughs> um, I think they've caught... They're going to catch them, uh, from Mourinho's perspective, at exactly the right time. Um, I mean, they've got momentum, Tottenham, real momentum at the moment. They did not deserve to beat um, Wolves yesterday. But they did, and I think the thing is, when Mourinho went into Tottenham, they he sorted out the the attack immediately. Deli Alley firing again, had Lucas Moura, um providing assists and scoring goals. He, his goal against Wolves was was amazing, mm. um, and Harry Kane is his usual Harry Kane. But the issue was was in defence, surprisingly for a Mourinho team. But that yesterday, it, it, it kind of was slowly becoming into that vintage Mourinho mould. Um, and I I think they're going to pose too many problems for, for Chelsea.
2: It'll be an intriguing game. I mean, as you say, Mourinho's catching them at the perfect time. Um, but Chelsea's still able to pose some real threats. I still think Tottenham are pretty uh, frail defensively. I think I'm not even convinced that Eric Dyer, although he's someone he's tried to, Mourinho's tried to say in the past, I'm not convinced in his role in protecting that. That
0: back four. He was better yesterday. I agree with you. He's been. He's not been immobile. He's not been mobile at all. You know, recently he looks unfit. Um But he was better yesterday.
2: Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I think. Uh, I think Chelsea have still got weaknesses that they can they can uh, they can go for. And, and Tammy Abraham playing against a, a back line that's really still not kind of not looking as resolute as it as it should be.
1: Well, this is our penultimate podcast before Christmas, and we're going to finish with a Christmas story from the champions, Manchester City. But who knew Pep Guardiola was such a scrooge? He has cancelled Christmas for his Manchester City stars by banning them from attending the club's festive bash on Thursday night. The City boss was unimpressed by some of his players going on from last year's club Christmas bash to a Manchester nightclub. China White, to party until dawn last year, and that was hours before a training session. Guardiola then watched his team lose twice over the festive period against Crystal Palace and Leicester, and it seems he is leaving nothing to chance this season. Oh, bar humbug. <laughs> Pep, is this unfair on the City players? Uh Yes,
0: yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, you know, especially after back-to-back championships, <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's uh, it's usually the the team struggling at the bottom, you know, the relegation threatened, rather than not quite getting a third championship in a row. But uh, I think it's probably the effect on uh, on the, the the coming games, and and I think sometimes as well. You know, I was listening to Joe Cole talk the other day about it, and and you'll you'll know more about it than me, Gregor. But he, he was saying about just the the it's not worth the trouble almost in in having a Christmas do, and sometimes you have them in November just yeah. to get them out of the way. Or People January, are,
2: Or January. Oh, that's, that's happened several times in my career. Really? Yeah. I mean, Tom's right. This, this is almost like a relegation threat season for Manchester City, just because they're so far behind. It's like unknown. Yeah. So it's. I, Although it'd be too much to say this, this is a punishment. It's it's looking to the to the future. But I've yeah I've had loads of Christmas parties cancelled.
1: Oh, what did you, <laughs> what were you doing for these to be cancelled?
2: Threatened by relegation, too much kind really? sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Any stories you want to yeah, tell? Yeah,
2: well there was uh, one again with Chris Wilder. I don't want to talk about him all the time, but um, <laughs> we played Plymouth Argyle, I think it was, um, and we lost two 0 and it was like. Arsenal at the weekend levels of woeful performance, like it was bad, mm-hmm. and he came in and he he gave us both barrels, and then we were supposed to have our Christmas party that weekend up in Leeds, and he said you're in at half seven tomorrow morning, oh, on the Sunday. It didn't go down well. Running round the pitch for forty five minutes, it wasn't like a cool down run either. It was you've got to maintain this pace for forty five minutes, so make no mistake, he can be ruthless. But um I've had several. I had you know any time really, you're in. in you're down the bottom half of the table, kind of really looking over your shoulders, there's a good chance you're not getting it. But players will do anything they can, or certainly in my era they did anything they can to to sort of ignore that. This is
1: what I was going to ask. As much as you say they've cancelled a Christmas party, surely there's a, even if it's just a core group that will do whatever, as you're suggesting, they'll do whatever to have some sort of Christmas
2: night out. Well, yeah, that night... that. That after the game against Plymouth, we went out at Milton Keynes. Yeah, <laughs> we turned <laughs> up at half seven, oh uh, a little bit worse for wear. But it can be kind of you know having a bit of that da- defiance. I think we won the next week, coming together and going. You know what? This is we need to do this just to kind of get together and have a have a bit of a blowout. Um, when you things aren't going so well, that can be quite valuable for the team. So, um, yeah, I think. I think maybe things have changed a little bit since my day, though.
0: So we can expect Leicester to lose against City now this weekend, then.
2: Well, they've been out.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> <They> <laughs> no, because Man City's
2: players will be Man defiant. City, yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> although Leicester have been out, haven't they? They went to Copenhagen, I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah. cracking fancy dress outfits. I know. Did you dress up? <laughs> yeah, for some. Um, I remember once being a a kind of a cowboy. Dressed on like a horse, so the horse was coming out the front of here, oh, I love and I was just like fucking yeah. around the streets and things. Fabulous. And there was a frog. I remember vividly a frog. I won't say who it was. Um, guy dressed as a frog who was like halting the traffic in this in a major northern city. So he's like sitting there by bouncing around <laughs> like a frog in front of buses and stuff. Oh, so yeah, the antics. You can't do that these days. You can't get away with it. No,
1: but, <laughs> but just 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 wanted to ask in terms of how important a Christmas do is. Is it important for players? Because a lot of people will say they shouldn't they don't need to have these nights out, you know they should be concentrating on footballing matters and staying fit and focused, et cetera et cetera. But from your own perspective, how important is it actually to have sometimes these nights out where you can forget your footballing job
2: yeah i think i think it is i mean all of that's true the football should come first, so you know if if you've got a game within a few days or you've got a you know a busy hectic sort of schedule of fixtures then. That should come first, but at the same time, if it's something the squad look forward to for a long time, and and as we've discussed before, you have fine kitty that like builds up and builds up, and you yeah. have a laugh about it for months and and weeks building up to it, and then all of a sudden it's it's over. That's pretty demoralising. So, you know, I mean, there are worse things that can happen, but and you can rearrange it. But it's, I like I say, I think sometimes, I'm, although I'm not encouraging it, if uh, if the players, it does happen a lot you might find that they will they will find somewhere very discreet to have a few drinks and a little party amongst themselves and as long as it doesn't get out then and no one's the wiser then it's probably for the best.
0: There was the famous one wasn't there where Redknapp when he was at, at Spurs came out and said we've cancelled Christmas we're not doing the party this year and the players said we had it last week. <laughs> <In the morning laughs>
2: <everybody back. laughs>
1: OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guest today, Tom Roddy.
2: Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online on your smartphone or tablet.
1: It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information, and we'll be back on Thursday.
0: The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.